Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Happy Thanksgiving from the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Today we have an episode from the archives in which I interviewed Angus Reed about his book, Thank You Coach. And I think in the spirit of today and showing gratitude towards all the people we have who are important in our lives, but especially the coaches we've had in our lives, I wanted to re-air this one. It's one of my favorite interviews. I go back to it and listen to parts of it from time to time. Just an incredible story that he shares about the relationship with his coach, Dan DeRazio. We had Dan DeRazio on the podcast as well. I'll link to that episode in the show notes. And I'll also link the TED Talk, which we talk about uh, from YouTube, in the show notes as well. Before we get going on today's podcast, I want to remind you to sign up for our sweepstakes. Go and register for that and have the opportunity to win a trip for two, a flight, hotel, and rental car to any of the cities, which there will be a Glazer Clinic and a Glazer Staff Pass. So check that out at glazerclinics.com slash win. Here's today's episode. Thank you, Coach, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. I'm really excited about today's guest. It's somebody who I saw on YouTube a couple years back. And he was giving this TED Talk, and it, it was just amazing. It really, really got to the core of everything we do as coaches and uh, made a big impact. I know it comes across my feed on Facebook from time to time, and I keep resharing it because it's, it's just that good. Our guest today is Angus Reed, and he is a former Canadian football player, CFL. He won two Grey Cup championships, played 13 seasons in the CFL, and now he travels around the country and talks about our great game. And his talk, his TED Talk was why we need high school football. And it really resonated with me. I, I picked up his book called Thank You, Coach. Been able to read through most of that. I have a little bit more to go, so I've skimmed the end to, to prepare for this interview. But he just does a great job, I think, in spreading the message about what our game really is about. I think it really gets to the core of why we coach it. So our guest today, Angus Reed. Angus, thank you for joining me today. Oh, it's, my, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Keith. Well, Angus, let's, for those of who, who haven't seen this, and if you're a football coach, I question why you haven't seen it because it's, it's so good. If you would just kind of give us a recap of the things you talked about 
in your TED Talk, and I'll share it again. I'll put the link on our show notes, so if coaches haven't seen it or if they'd like to see it again, it will be there. Sure, and, and what's funny about the TED Talk is anyone that's been around them, you know, usually they do months and months of prep work where you're, you're rehearsing the script again and again to make sure that you get your timing down just right. And, and with this one, I really just spoke from the heart. You know, I, I spent about a week or two beforehand outlining the key points, and I told my wife, I said, I, I, I'm not going to try to memorize some talk. I'm going to go out there and, and, and speak from my heart and make sure my message comes from someone that firmly believes what I'm saying, and I'm just going to say everything that I believe. And, you know, the message, touch on all, all the big reasons that I think most people understand about this great sport, but there are a lot of things that a lot of team sports do, you know, in terms of uh, giving kids structure. Uh, you know, there's the delayed gratification. The, there's the camaraderie. There's, there's playing with, with other people. There's being a part of something bigger than yourself. There's learning how to win learning how to lose, learning how to commit to something, all these great things that, that you can get from a lot of activities. And I, and I would argue that football offers some of those in greater degrees because of the structure of the sport, the, the routine of the week, which so many kids in today's world are craving for routines where they don't know what's going to happen when they come home from school, when dinner might be. So routines are lacking in today's world. And the beautiful thing I love about football, at least when I grew up, and I think most teams are still the same, you know, game day's game day, whether it's Friday or Saturday, depending on where you're playing. Your Monday's practices are always the same. Your Tuesdays are always the same. Your Wednesdays are the same. Thursday, whether that's a travel day or day before. And you can hang your hat on that. And for kids that, that lives are crazy right now with so many things going on, I think it's vital to have that consistency throughout your week and, and have it through your off-seasons become consistent with your training and your workouts. And those are big things. But my two main points in the talk that I thought separated football from from all other sports and and it's what really gave me the opportunity to play this game and eventually excel was that it's it, the one sport that i see that that can take everybody you get in today's world where i hate to see the specialization of sports and the elitism of sports happening and moving at a younger and younger age where you know you're having these select teams that at 12 years old and, and 11 years old and maybe even 10 years old and i see it in canada with hockey a lot and i know you in baseball and basketball where you know at a younger and younger age you're either you're either getting specialized in, a, in an all-star select team or, or you're kind of done and and then the cost that associated with that so you know there's less and less opportunities for kids to join things unless you're elite or have or have a lot of financial backing where football anyone can play teams will take as many players as want to come out and it doesn't really matter what your skill sets are there's something for you to do on that team there's something for you to to bring value to and, and you can play. And I didn't play to the, till the 11th grade. And there's not a lot of sports out there in, in the elite world where you can just show up in the 11th grade and join the team, and, and you can be on the team. You know, mm -hmm. most sports have, have weeded people out. So I, I think when you look at the importance of needing high school football, that to me is, is, is one of the great separators where I speak nonstop in schools around North America. And whether it's just be with teams or with young kids in general, and you see this longing for, for so many kids that, that feel lost because they don't know where they fit in, they don't know who they are, and they're looking to belong to something to show value and worth and learn about themselves. And the earlier we keep weeding people out with specialization of sports and, and, and making it more of a, a performance-based picking system, the less places these kids have to go. And football is always going to be there for them. You want to come out, then come on out. And this sport will find something for you to do and you can be involved in this team. And the dovetail part of my argument in, in that talk was 
once you're on the team, I don't know any other team sport that has 88 starting positions. You know, and I harped on this again again in the talk. <laughs> it says 88 starting positions, right? Right? Like, you know, all the special teams and there's offense and defense, and there might even be more when you have uh, special versions of some of these special teams and different packages that go in on your offensive system. I mean, a creative coach that, that either A, has uh, ample amount of uh, young athletes that can participate, or B, just wants to give kids that great experience, can find a way to get all those kids on the field, one way or the other, even if it's for a player or two, uh, with all the opportunities that sport presents. And that, to me, is its real power. I think we'd all agree it's not on how many Division One scholarships your, your school can produce or how many pro athletes you can put their jersey on the wall. I mean, those, those are great. Those are fantastic things to be proud of. But at the end of the day, you want to offer your kids an opportunity to realize their worth and realize that they can do great things in this world. And you've got to give them that through validation. And so the sport gives them that opportunity to get out there and be a part of something that's bigger than themselves and be a part of something that's great. And you can do that, and you can do it without uh, asking them to cut an obnoxiously high check, which some some privatization of sports make you do now, right. or you know, say no to them because at the age of twelve they weren't already elite or had a, a unbelievable a gifted abilities that you're willing to to work with because there's an opportunity to go further in the sport. It's there. It, it's a, it's available, and it lets anyone take part in the greatness that is amateur sports. Angus, I know for you a lot of this the the big impact on you, and really. The, the, the stories with and behind your book have a lot to do with your coach, uh, Dan DeRazio. And I, I think a lot of us as football coaches can think back to that guy or those guys who made an impact in our lives. That there's, there is that one guy who's essentially made all the difference, has, has done something you know, for you that that it just clicked later in life and, and you would attribute a lot of what you've been able to go on and do in your success, whether that's on the field or off the field, to some of those lessons you learned. And that's what your book is really about, those lessons that we all talk about this game teaching and why we, we coach this game, that those are really, you, you brought them to life in your book with all the stories and examples. I mean, it's it's not an instructional book by any means, but it really, I think, just shows the impact. It it encapsulates everything we're trying to do as as coaches. And so, for our uh, our listeners, if you could explain, I guess, how this relationship with Dan, with your coach, developed. Sure. And here's a few things. I mean, I I, I guess I could have written a book about my high school coaches too. And as, as we all have our great stories about our great mentors, and I've I've had so many great coaches. But the reason I wrote a book about Coach Dan was because this is my professional offensive line coach and what made my story unique. And I think any coach listening to this would, re- would realize how unique this really is. I-, I had him for 11 straight seasons. I played 13 years professional. And I had the same positional offensive line coach for 11 straight years. And I don't know how many players at any level in any sport can say they had the exact same direct coach for 11 continuous seasons. I mean, we all know the reasons why that never happens, particularly at the professional level. Careers don't last that long. Coaches move, come and go, with, with depending on how the seasons went. And the variables are so much that it's just very rare. And so with Coach Dan, that was the one thing I had was just the depth of work with him. And the other thing was I came into Dan my, my third, entering my third year pro. And my first two seasons were extremely rocky. My first year, 
I was drafted in the first round by the Toronto Argonauts who cut me in training camp. I may be the only first round draft pick ever get cut in training camp. And that was one of the most humbling experiences you'll ever, you'll ever live through. And that rocked my confidence. I bounced around on a practice roster in Montreal who shipped me back home to my hometown team, the BC Lions, where I finished the practice roster there. So my first year pro, I, I was on three, three different teams and I never played one down. It wasn't exactly the, the greatest start to a career that would give you confidence thinking you'd have a 13-year professional life. And my second year was, was okay. I made the roster at BC, but I was kind of hanging on for dear life. And then my third year, our coaching staff changed, our whole staff changed, and, and I met this new guy, Coach Dan. Coach Dan became my offensive line coach. And, and from that moment on, he gave everything he had to me, which I know coaches do, but I experienced this at a level I'd never seen before. Came across now, I, I finally came across a man who, who I knew for a fact his sole purpose in life was to maximize whatever I had. Whatever I was given, he was going to make me the very best version of myself humanly possible. And the book is written in a way that, you know, each chapter is kind of a, a, less, a life lesson told through a specific football story. And it's interesting, when I wrote this book about six months ago, it took after retirement for me to realize how much he was teaching me about life through football. And, and I kind of take you through when I first met him. And the first thing that, that clicked to me was the amount of attention he gave me, the focus in the conversations and how it was all about wanting to get to know me as a human being. We didn't talk anything about football. He cared about who I was and wanted to know what made me tick and what mattered most to me. And I knew what he was doing. He was building his framework of how he would coach me, how he would get through to me. And I learned right then that, as you, you, we spoke off air, that you know, football is people business. And, and your number one job as a coach is to know the person. You know, you can know the measurables and, 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 the, and the ability. That's great. But your number one job is to know the human being you're working with and, and know who they are as a, as a person and what matters to them well beyond this sport. And that's going to be the framework with how you'll interact with them in everything moving forward. And that will be the framework where you build trust with them. So when you got to push them and when you got to correct mistakes, it comes from an understanding that you know who I am as a person, and I know that you now care about who I am as a person. And that frames everything moving forward in, in, in a light that I know all you want is the best for me, which makes every other aspect of coaching so much easier and so much more open for the athlete to take in. And then I guide you through everything, you know, mm -hmm. from, from, the, from pushing me through physical training, which, which always taught me there's so much more in the tank than you ever thought possible to dealing with adversity, to how to keep a clear head, to how to communicate with your teammates, you know, how to properly communicate with people, how eye contact is vital, how pitch, tone, voice is, is, is vital, how to prepare, how to really prepare, how to build internal rules. You know, I kind of joke now, it, it was how to, how to create order to deal with chaos. You know, as we all know, football is, is, is some craziness out there, and if you don't have internal rules with how to approach it and how to handle it, particularly at a center position where my job was to, you know, read the defense, make the calls, make the adjustments, snap the ball, then keep making adjustments as the play's going on and make sure everybody understands is on board with what I'm saying. Dan probably had to do all those things. And, and those are, those are real life skills. Those are things that you take with you when you enter the real world and it's chaos. And you now know how to prepare. You know how to communicate. You know how to work with other people and solve problems in the moment without losing your head and, and, and getting overwhelmed by everything that's going on. And, and you learn how to evaluate afterwards. And mm -hmm. you learn how to 
see the good, the bad, or not the bad, but the good and the correctables in what just happened, and then move forward with correcting those things. I mean, these are, these are things that all football coaches know, and most players know, but what I think is important to remind coaches are that these are real-life skills that when, when messaged correctly and when coached correctly to a person, they will realize and be able to utilize them when their days of being on the field are done. And that, to me, is what really makes football matter. Because if all you're doing is creating a better player on the field, that to me is such a lost opportunity that I've learned doesn't have to exist. We don't have to have guys that were great players and that's what they got. They got mm-hmm. memories of when they were great players right. and it's kind of left there. I think everything you learn on the field and every interaction you have with your coach should be something that can be carried with you when you're done. And my 11 years of Coach Terrazio has proved to me that coaching football is coaching life. Connecting with a player is connecting with a person. And everything you're doing with them is going to impact them. And the question I always have to every coach is, are you making sure that every interaction with your player is positively impacting them with something that will last beyond the game? Because it can and it should. Backing that up a little bit, Angus, in reading your book, I mean, the one part uh, I really remembered and I remembered it because I did a podcast with Brian Kite and we talked about this concept of command and control and an old way of, of doing things. But and you kind of had this, this realization there was something new there for you the first time that Coach DeRazio called you. And yeah. it, it kind of changed from there, really, the outlook. And you had some, I think, really key takeaways that it, it's something very simple, but something I think we really need to think about with the kids we coach today, and, and it's probably different than a lot of us were, were brought up on. I know for most of the guys I played for, coaches from youth football on up, it was a command and control situation, which is funny because that's not, you know, that's a, a military type thing, and the military doesn't necessarily even work that way anymore. But uh, talk to us a little bit about the where that kind of realization came, and, you know, especially about the, the player coach relationship. Funny, if anyone ever gets to meet Coach Dan or knows him, you know, he is, you would think he was from a military background. You would think the way he is ordered and disciplined with everything he, he does in life. But from the moment I met him, he knew that this is a people business. This was a business of connecting with humans. As much as football is a disciplined game that demands an exact way of doing things, uh, none of that matters if you don't have a relationship with the person. And he knew right off the bat when his first phone call to me, announcing that he's my new coach and wanted to know if, if I wanted to get together for a lunch in the early offseason. And we met off campus, uh, you know, outside of the facility. It had nothing to do with football. He wanted to meet me in a neutral site. We just went out for lunch at a, a restaurant. And for that next hour or so, every single part of that conversation was him opening the floor for me to speak about myself. And, and they, were, they were questions he was asking, but he was really good at not making them interrogating questions. There was, there was no why, why. Everything was was what and you know how did you see this growing up and there were there were there were questions about me as a person without being uh, aggressive to the point that I thought he was attacking it was just open probing and letting me talk about myself and he wanted to know who I was and he cared mostly about what made me tick what I valued as a person so so he could begin his coach relationship with me uh, building trust on a human on a human basis and also understanding now how, 
how to work with me. You know, I, I, there's another chapter in this book, and this was a phrase that caught me kind of off guard till I really understood it. And, and it was something he said to us at the beginning of every training camp. And he said, guys, I need to tell you this. Or I said, I'll coach each of you all fairly, but I can't coach you all the same because you're not all the same. And to do that would be unfair. And I never understood that because I thought it was all about every, you know, fairness. And, and to him, or sorry, the sameness. And, and to him, uh, fair was knowing who we all were, taking the time to really know who you are as a person, not just as an offensive lineman or a player, and then coaching me at a level that worked for myself, coaching what I have, what I could bring to the table, and coaching me through a messaging that connected with who he knew I was. And that would be different than some other player that he would coach, and they would all be different. And that, that showed that that was a great lesson to me that, you know, whether you're, whether you're a parent, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a CEO, a boss, or a coach, and you're, you have three, four, five, or 50 people that, that you're working with, you need to know each of them as people individually. And, and you need to hold them to a standard that you'll be fair about, but each of them needs to be interacted with differently. And if you don't take the time to get to know them and to really learn what matters to them, then, then, then you default to the, the old way of this is the law and you lose half of them right off the bat and the other ones might begrudgingly do it because it's a job and they have to. And you don't get the best of anybody. The experience isn't positive. And when push comes to shove, they're not going to give you the extra 1% because you never took the time to really care, so why should they? And Dan did, and I realized that he coached each of us as individuals because he knew us all as individuals. And at the professional level, I don't know if that's common business. I don't know because I'm fortunate enough to only have him as my real experience, and I'm thankful for that. But it's, it's a lesson I've, I'll never forget. Everyone is an individual person. And you need to treat each of them as, as individuals. And the only way to really do that is to get to know each of them as individuals. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And I know the other thing, you kind of talked about this in, as part of your TED Talk, but the way Coach approached you, you know, in your book, kind of admit to not necessarily having all the physical attributes that an offensive line coach would want. You know, you were 6'1", which is short for professional football, maybe not for your position as much, but it's still uh, undersized and maybe didn't have the wingspan or the hand width or the size of feet the coach would like, you know, to be able to get feet in the ground and, and leverage people. But he didn't focus on what you didn't have. He focused on the things you can do and how you can make those better. And, you know, I always joke with coaches like, the great ones for some reason, you know, we make us better coaches. When I had that kid who was, you know, in all Ohio tailback you know Alex Alex made me look pretty good and I, I joke he was super talented but even with that kid you know you you build the relationships and I think that's a great takeaway in, in reading reading that part of the book is that you know we do have this great opportunity and I think it applies really anywhere in the world like certainly everybody yeah. wants to hire the most talented people and all those kinds of, of different things but Ultimately, it's some of those, those ones you didn't expect who you're going to get the absolute most out of, whether that's on your football team or, or in your business or in your school or whatever it might be. No, I think, I think that's a great point. Look, we, we all have, and football is, is maybe <laughs> the top of the, the, top, you know, the bullseye for this statement, we all have ideal measurables that we, we, think, we think we need for a given task. You know? and, and football, again, they've, 
they think they perfected this with the combines and measurings and having every number or analytic, analytical data that you can post to go, this will be the perfect player for this position given these parameters. And, and we all know that's never really the case. Once in a while it works out that way, but, you know, greatness comes in all, all shapes and sizes, mm-hmm. and it takes a coach to, to realize, one, that, that that's true, and two, their job is to maximize what's right in front of them, what they have to work with. And in doing so, I learned two lessons. One is if I'm ever in his position, which you are always, whether it's being a parent or a friend or a, a boss or whatever it is, whoever you're working with, stop wishing they were something else and start working with what they have from that perspective and start going, what can we do with what we have instead of going, I wish, I wish that you were this, I want this. Uh, one moves you forward, one just drags an anchor and makes, makes everybody angry. And it also reminded me that internally as a person to stop feeling inferior because you don't have exactly what, what you think they want and you may not have exactly what all your direct competition has and start going, put all your focus into what can we do with what we have. And I remember Dan always telling me his job was to always put me in the best position to excel. My job was purely to give all the energy I had to, to, to everything that was presented to me. You know, he was going to put me in the best position to excel. And I remember he told me many times, it's far easier for them to, to adjust schemes to maximize what we have than to spend countless hours trying to find the right human being to fit their scheme. And in the end, you're, not, you know, you're constantly adapting, changing people. Now you have no trust built. You have no continuity. It's a mess. So their jobs as coaches go, look, this is what we have. Forget what you want and wish or ideal. This is what we have, and let's make it great. And you know, I won championships and won all-stars to prove that you can get done amazing things <laughs> Without, without having the ideal situations, if your mindset is all about working with what you have and finding answers instead of leaning on excuses or, or scapegoats or reasons why this won't work. And I never heard one comment negatively from Dan in my life outside of a few sarcastic ones when he'd say to me because he knew he'd get me going. Being the smallest line in the league my whole career, me not being the body that they would post when they're looking for ideal candidates for my job, never once. You know, it was always bring to the table techniques and tricks that would help me win that because of my stature and my, my maybe lack of, of ideal body, body size and parts, he would go, but this will work. And this is what's going to help you do what you do great with what you do have. And, you know, a lot of hand fighting drills we had to do. And a lot of things, again, treat everyone fairly, not everyone the same. He coached me up differently than he'd coach, uh, you know, some of our, right, maybe our, one of our guards that was six foot four, 340 pound wrecking ball. He coached him differently. He had to. And why wouldn't he? It would be unfair, right, to coach me the same way as, as that guy because we weren't the same and we needed different coaching. With given specialized coaching, we each excel. The, the preparation side of it is something that stuck out. And there was just a little quote. It reminded me of watching Hard Knocks this year with the Cleveland Browns of Bob Wiley, who I know spent yeah. some time coaching in, in the CFL. But Bob Wiley talking about, you know, did you see the guys warm up before they storm Normandy Beach? Well, Dan's quote to you was, you ever see a cheetah warm up? And right. <laughs> the, the whole idea yeah. there for you was, you know, just being prepared and ready yeah. to go and having yourself trained. I think there was a quote in there about that you're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to sink to the level of your training. Yeah. And, you know, for me, look, we've come to a world now where there's whole industries, you know, I'll say it, based on scaring people into thinking you need to do all these things before you do anything. It's like, really? Okay, I'm a big believer in, in taking care of your body, and, and I look, I'm all in with, with everything we can learn and apply. 
But when it comes right down to real life, you need to have your body physically and more importantly, mentally, always prepared for something now. You know, instead of saying, look, you know, but I have this 27-minute routine that has to get done before we can do anything in life. What you've really done is, is you, you really change yourself up and, and, and not allowed yourself the freedom to do what you got to do when you got to do it. And in real life, just like football, you know, I think the, my follow-up story in, in that chapter was what, after I shattered my foot in, in, later in my career and they made me a backup, and then the opportunity came, you know, mid-game because of injuries, I had to go back in. And I'm 34 years old, I got a beat-up foot, and I've been standing on the sidelines for probably 35 minutes, and now you got to go play. What do you do? You, you go out and play because you've conditioned yourself physically, but more importantly, psychologically or mentally, to be able to do that any given time. And to me, that's a, that was a powerful lesson to, to be mentally strong enough to just always be ready to go. You've got to be ready to go because you don't know when the opportunity is going to knock, and you can't say, hey, wait, i got to get myself ready here. No, you need to always be ready. you got to constantly be, be preparing yourself uh, you know, mentally, physically, psychologically. So, so when things happen, you're good to go. And, and it doesn't, doesn't shake you, doesn't rattle you, doesn't, doesn't get you, doesn't require uh, this entire process that has to be done for you to perform. And again, that to me was a global lesson. That carries forth to everything. Always be preparing so you're always ready. You know, like, like the cheetah. <laughs> when there's food on the table, it doesn't have to pray to go, hold on, let me just get ready here. Give me some time to kind of warm up and get my mind wrapped around this. No, you just got to go. And I think that's, there's a toughness to that, too, where you're okay just going. And, and it's not always going to be ideal. Look, most situations are not ideal, and you're not going to get this perfect window to do all the things that would maybe, the, maybe right to do. Uh, you just got to go. And you're not going to worry about it. It's not going to give it a second thought. That, again, is real life. We, that happens every single day. Things happen to you moment to moment. You do not get yourself ready for it, but you got to deal with it. And you need to be able to deal with that without losing any ability to be your very best in that moment. We all know people like that. Uh, they're able to handle anything at any given time because they're, they're always prepared. And, and, and then they have a mindset that they're not going to let life rattle them or scare them and, and wait for them to have to get ready to deal with it. They just deal with things. And that is a maturity level to that, but there's also a, a psychological toughness that Dan, that Dan taught me reinforced in me and i'd like to think has ingrained in me and you know you paint this picture of him i mean i know you said he's kind of like a military guy in some ways and he seemed like that but there's a good takeaway in here about using humor um, but also yeah. you mentioned like when to use it like i know i heard a long time ago when i was learning to be a teacher the danger of of sarcasm but yeah. the the point being especially you don't want to use you know, you don't want to use sarcasm, but you don't want to use humor until you really have that relationship with the player. And you told a funny story of what he did in a, a team meeting. Yeah, I, I tell a story of, it was later in my first season and a really bad play. I, I got trucked over pretty good by a nose guard and gave up a sack, I think. And it was really my only bad play of the game. So the nice thing was it wasn't one of those complete disaster games. It was going to be a blip on an embarrassing blip the next day on film on otherwise pretty solid effort. And the post-game show after the game, this is 2003, so social media wasn't, wasn't running rampant yet. I was driving home, and I shouldn't have had the radio on, but I did. And I got this great uh, mama bear mom that protects her kids forever. And here I am, a professional athlete. Someone calls in and just lays into me in the postgame show. And the next caller in, I hear my mom, my mom calls in and just lays back into the guy. and just rips him. I'm going, oh, this is wonderful. My saving grace at the moment, I thought, was because no social media then, that this would just come and go, and maybe a few people heard it and 
you know, tomorrow no one on the team would have known about this, and, and we'll just move forward. But uh, Dan's all eyes and ears uh, all the time. He, he's like that cheetah. He's always ready to go, always prepared somehow. And he knew, and I didn't know. And during, the, during our meeting the next day, a cell phone that I didn't even know he owned one because he's pretty archaic with technology, and this is 2003. Right at that play, the phone rings, and he answers it. And, oh, yeah, hi, Mrs. Reed. How are you doing? And, no, no, we, we're not going to – we'll take care of your son. No, no one's going to come after him. And, you know, he played it off. Everything else was talked about on the radio last night. And, it, you know, here I am, a full-on cherry tomato looking at my teammates. Because I'm a young guy still on this team, right? And <laughs> that was an embarrassing moment. But you're right to Dan's point. When I first met him, it was all about building trust. And up to that point, he, he had built that trust. He had pushed me to limits. He had congratulated me many times. He would showered me with praise. Uh, we'd been through wins and losses already. Uh, we had built that foundation of safe and understanding that he's got my back in every situation. He had built that, that ability to, to earn the right, I think, to, to poke a little fun at me. And the nice thing was it was done in an environment where I wasn't getting beat up all day because of that game. It was one play. I played well other than that. So he, he picked the environment correctly where there was plenty of praise coming after the fact. But, yeah, Dan presents as a military guy due to his regiment, his routine, his diligence. But he also understood the need for humor, the need for humanizing us. And I think that's made his humor even better because he could be such a disciplinarian and a taskmaster, but he also knew the comedic break and, and the power that could, that could bring to the table. And then the brilliance of getting right back to business afterwards. So he didn't linger because, again, there's another chapter there about him wasting, of never wasting time and a time is the, the value of time and the precious seconds. So there was the humor, there was the laugh, and then there was – right back to work because there's still more work to be done. Absolutely. There's a part where he's talking about the work, especially about practice. And the whole section on learning and how he taught you guys to play the game really resonated with me. And we did a whole series of podcasts throughout the season. One of my team members, Andy Ryland, and myself called Deliberate Practice. And the whole idea was to kind of get out of this mindset of, drilling to drill and it started with number one don't don't get enticed by drills just because somebody with a a very recognizable logo on their helmet is doing it that it has to make sense to you know your players to your schemes etc there has to be a fit and for really some of the best offensive line coaches that I see out there it's I think unfair that we call the position the skill and and non-skill guys I mean there is a ton of skill probably more at times than what goes into the other positions because it's not necessarily natural movements that we focus on with with offensive linemen and moving people you know it's just not a a natural thing running you know moving around in space those are a little bit more natural than the things you have to do as an offensive lineman but uh the teacher he was of the game and the detail that he put into it and the way that he would teach you guys he wasn't out there just repping to rep he was really focused in on how do we get you better at your skill? And I think you mentioned it before. I mean, this is this is a game that can be won with technique and with skill. And so those guys maybe who don't fit all the measurables that you're going to get in a combine or in, during the summer at a, at a one-day camp with college coaches, maybe you don't fit those. But there's a lot that goes into how skilled you can become and how you can excel at this game with skill and technique offensive line there was nothing natural about being an offensive lineman in terms of the movements and mechanics nobody naturally moves around life like an offensive lineman does while they're in the middle of play it's just it's the most learned behavior that has to be ingrained it's just nobody 
naturally sits in that uncomfortable deep knee bend with their chest spread and, you know, their hands in certain positions and their, their chin up. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not a comfortable place to live. That has to be drilled. That has to be uh, repeated, but it has to be done correctly. And there's, I, I wrote quite a bit about uh, teaching in that book. And there was two parts that I wrote that I knew were complicated and I did them on purpose. Now, one of them was on the chapter when he taught me how to block on the old Crowther sled. And then I did a little section on pulling and I broke down pulling into every minute detail. And I did that on purpose. Uh, one for offensive line coaches to have a little laugh and then and they know what's going on, but really for the non-football fans or, or the ones that don't know offensive line well to, to give appreciation to just how technical every movement we do on that field really is and, and how, and how detailed it, it is and, and how it has to be learned in that way to be done correctly. Otherwise, it's not going to work or, or it won't work well or it won't work consistently. Either way, you're not going to have success. Uh, but I talk about, uh, you guys get back about uh, you know, purposeful practice and, and doing things intentionally. You know, Dan's big belief and something I learned from him was the way to master any skill, there was two parameters. It was focus and frequency. You had to have those. And the real question was, how frequently can you give full focus to a task? And the second you're not giving full focus, you're not practicing anymore. And in fact, you're probably regressing because you're not going to do it at the right, the right tempo, the, the right energy, or the exactness that's required. And therefore, you, you're not actually improving anymore now. You're wasting time and, and, and at worst, uh, devolving your technique into something that's sloppy. So the question came down to frequency, uh, I, you know, or sorry, focus. So you can only do things, you know, a couple times. And Dan's big phrase was always, thought of that one up, put a cap on it. We might rep something once or twice in a practice. Done right, good. But we'll do it almost every practice, but just once, twice, or three times. And what he knew was focus trumped everything. You do it perfectly a couple times. That is infinitely superior than doing it hours and hours, progressively worse than just ticking the box saying, I did this for two hours. Well, it's meaningless and maybe harmful. You know, a couple times, and that's full focus. And when you can't get full focus anymore to what you're doing, and it can't be done at the level and the intensity and the correctness that's needed, then stop. And so it came down to frequency. And what I learned was hyper-focus is what's required, uh, low micro-frequency and high macro-frequency. So you don't do things too often at once. Do it great. Rest. Keep everything on. Always finish on a high note. Always finish with a great rep. You're done. And do it often, though. You know, I think the great, one of the great competitors of our time, uh, Dan Gable, the legendary wrestler, always mm-hmm. said, you know, if something matters to you, do it every single day. And so, you know, we would do our, we wouldn't have a ton of, a ton of uh, different techniques because you wanted to get great at what you did. You didn't want to be average at a whole bunch of things. And we kind of did them every day, but we only did them a couple times and we did them perfectly. And once they were done perfectly, done. And we'll do it. We'll probably do it again tomorrow. Perfectly done. And none of this endless repetition of, of the same thing to, 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 to pad your ego that you've done this for two hours or three hours. And it was nonsense and it didn't work and, and you didn't get better. You just got tired, and, and, and you, you got worse at doing something that required precision and high intensity, which you cannot do for a very long period of time. So get it done right, and then do it again tomorrow right, and then do it the next day. And it's that consistency of focus repetition that wins over time. And a lot of that for him was the evaluation side of it. And you put a, a ton of detail into the, the chapter about evaluation. I loved it because right. I really believe – you know, I had this discussion on, on Twitter sometime before the season started. We were talking about grading, you know, and what coaches look at and how they do that. And you talked about winning grade instead of a passing grade and what, you know, what that was and go into the details of it. And then the, the pretty unique thing, his, his award for that. Right. 
Yeah, well, and here's the thing I learned, and, and maybe people know this, and maybe they don't. I, I'm not sure, but it's absolutely true. Whatever you outline as a standard, better be crystal clear. It, it, it better be so clear that there's no room for interpretation or any room to to adapt it to the given situation to to work for you in the moment. It, it's got to be objective, so so it can't be uh, uh, you know changing from week to week. It's got to be a target that is. That is, that is very clear, completely understood by all, and, and objectively stated and, 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 and bought into and agreed upon and, and moved forward with. And, and so we had our winning grade. And offensive line is a little trickier than some positions because it could easily become subjective where they're saying, well, that block wasn't really a plus. It was kind of a minus. And what Dan did brilliantly was broke it down to – quantifiable objective measurables of, of, of what a, a plus or a, you know, a winning block versus a losing block was. So when you reviewed the film, it wasn't him deciding anymore. It was the, it was the measurable and the objectives. Uh, did, you, did you meet them or not? And, and, and you knew very well what, the block, what, a, what a winning block was. And so it's funny because I've heard a lot of situations where film where players are arguing with their coaches, that was a plus, it shouldn't have been a minus. And, and Dan always reverted back to, what was described, what was crystallized in a discussion of, of what, what a winning block is. And, and so it wasn't up to him to grade the film anymore. The standard graded the film. Your, your play, you graded yourself with your play against, against a, a, a standard that was clearly defined and, was, and it's extremely objective. And you either did it or you didn't. And to me, it was very comforting because it removed the – worrying if, if you liked what I did or not, or did you like this block, you did it or you didn't. And we live in a world today where, where everybody justifies everything. and We like to keep things a little blurry so we can make it work for us in the moment. And there was something very gratifying to walk in the next day and, and know you put in a winning performance. Uh, and you knew that that winning performance was a standard that didn't change week to week. It, it, a winning performance was a winning performance. And I, and I met the requirement. And, you know, for us it was 90% that he bumped up to 92% of, of your blocks were always pluses. And, <laughs> You know, if, if you did that, and we're talking professional athletes that we, you know, you get your paycheck. That's what you get. But when he would give anybody on the morning of our, our film, you know, you met those requirements, you got a payday chocolate bar. <laughs> and that was really cool to me because you're talking grown adults, right? Yeah. And, and you're going to get your check and you're going to get your bonus if you get an all-star and all your financial rewards. But you wanted that chocolate bar. You know, you really wanted it. And I don't even like paydays. I don't even like how they tasted. But boy, did they taste good on film day. Because you got one, and not everybody got one, so there's that, that pride of earning it. But his big thing was, you know, you, you get your paycheck for playing, but you got to earn your payday. And you had to earn these bars by, by not just playing the game. You got paid to play. That's what your contract said. You earned a payday by your performance. And there was a tangible reward that, you know, even as grown adults that were professional athletes that did this for, the, you know, for, the, for a living – there was a, there was a there was a fun reward that was gratifying and that actually meant something and you saw uh, you, you saw the sincerity of him giving it to you and you saw pride in these big strong athletes in, in knowing that they accomplished something worthy of a payday chocolate bar really cool and and it wasn't just paydays there were other things too there were the green yeah, dots all kinds, yeah and yeah it was so, a Nestle Crunch bar and the eraser yeah yeah so and I, I mean he, he understood the you know there's so, it's so easy to look to negatives on film. It's so easy because most of the film is about correcting, right? And it's so easy to let film become a day of, 
of, of things that always sound negative. This is what we need to improve. This is what we need to improve. This is what we need to improve. And that's part of it because that's why you're there to get better. But you need to celebrate greatness. And Dan was brilliant at always maximizing the opportunity to do that. So you got your paydays, which were available to anyone that, you know, graded above 92%. So all five of us could get it. And then many times we did. And that was really, that was probably won that game. Let me tell you, we, we probably won those games that we all got our paydays. And then, you know, we also tracked green dots on top of your plus and minuses. And green dots were any block that went above and beyond. And, and, and again, rather than just having one category, he broke that down. So there was more opportunities to, to get green dots and, and, and making it very objective. So it wasn't just, that was a good block. Why? Because I thought so? No, and that was, it was too vague for Danny. We needed something that was understood. And, the, and you either met the measurable or you didn't. And so, you know, you had domination blocks, which were, you know, a five-run uh, block uh, or any type of block where you remove the player five yards from the point of first contact. So you really drove them out of there. Uh, there were cut blocks. You know, you had to – what does a cut block mean? Well, a lot of people sell different things. Dan's definition was the defensive player's hand, at least one hand, had to touch the ground. So maybe you got him down, maybe you didn't. But if you met that requirement, that got the green dot, and you knew that. So there's no debating. Uh, you know, there was downfield blocks. So this was, this was any block past our first, our, 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 you know, our first target. It was the next block beyond that, any given person. So that was kind of an extra effort type block. Um, you know, then we had decleaters. Uh, one cleat had to come clear, or sorry, I think it was two cleats had to come clearly out of the ground. Whatever it was, it was very identified. So mm-hmm. he just went through and, 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 and marked who met the requirements. And first out of the most green dots, got your Nestle Crunch Bar. And those, I love Nestle Crunch Bars. Unfortunately, being an underside center, I, I was never the guy steamrolling that many people. So that always went to our big guards and some, some of our big bruising tackles. Just beat guys up out there. And, and, and then we had the ultimate, the ultimate reward, which was, uh, you know, probably – a dollar twenty-five in, in retail value, <laughs> but it was a, it was a dry eraser, and he put you know in, in a piece of paper that he scotch taped on top. He literally wrote in handwriting, "the eraser." And if I was lucky enough, it would say Angus Reed, and it would have the opponent and the game date. And what that meant was, you you know you graded a hundred percent. And and whether you want to throw the word perfect around or not is debatable because I don't know if there's such thing as a perfect performance. But in Dan's definition, you erased your opponent from the game. So in reviewing the film, your opponent not only didn't make a tackle, but he had zero effect on any play. And again, that's an objective measurable because, you know, was there a disruption? Was there a hurry? Was there a hit on the quarterback? Or did he, you know, did he disrupt the point of contact for the run game where the play couldn't work because of his disruption? Uh, you know, if you met all those requirements, you erased your opponent from the game completely. You got this eraser. And I won a few of them, and I'm telling you what, that dollar twenty-five in retail value sits proudly in my home office because, you know, there's this tangible proof that you met a standard that was not debatable, and it's a hard standard to meet. And it was so gratifying, again, and this is at the professional level, where you're getting your paycheck. That's why, you know, that's why most guys are doing this still. I mean, yeah, we love the game, but it's our job. But you get these little token appreciation, awards of appreciation, and for me, and I know a lot of guys I've played with, uh, they hold on to them all for a lifetime. And that's really powerful. I know the other powerful thing you did, so those are some public recognitions for your team. I think so neat, you know, of what those are. I mean, things you can remember. And and it's, it's almost, you know, you think of some of the things we do with kids in, in kindergarten and things they get excited about. Yeah. I mean, you guys are grown men getting juiced up about 
you know, get an eraser or a payday bar, really cool. But, but you made the point that uh, there was a, a very personal side to his communication and connection with you too, and that he, he write you guys a ton of messages. Yeah, well, let, let's be very clear too. We're all six years old. We're all six year old forever too, right? <laughs> That's right. Like, like, we all are. We just we just we just try to hide it, and then then someone gives you a chocolate bar and you light up. Again <laughs> because we, we never really we never really grow up. We just we just get older, right? Yeah. But you're right. I think I think one of the most uh, one of the most personal, uh, probably the most personal chapter I wrote was that one on. I think I titled it "The Power of the Pen," but. You know, it shocked me the first time I got one because it was in a road game and it was slid under our door. Which <laughs> I tell the story in the book. I thought I was getting cut game day. I didn't know it was it was, an, it was a, a, a team a team addressed envelope. What am I going to get at five o'clock in the morning on a game day from the club? But I, I came to realize what Dan did for the rest of my career for every one of his players was every game day uh, you you'd get a letter from him and it was personalized to you and it was handwritten, which is you know was a big deal in today's world of. Uh, of tweets and texts and, and, and emails. Uh, he still does it to this day. He handwrites it, and, and it wasn't generic. It wasn't like the same note to everybody. It always started with a quote up top, which would have been, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a quote from somebody, whether it be a Walter Payton quote or, uh, you know, either a famous famous somebody where the quote was relevant to the, to the, week, to the opponent and the game at hand. And, and then there would be a message, and the message was always on his gratitude towards us, but it was it always pointed to something we did this week that he that he would note out in the message that that once again showed him why we are the best person for the job and why we will do great today. And I, and I can't tell you how meaningful it was because it wasn't just a good luck today. Uh, he pointed out something in practice or in the meetings that I did, and, and this was done for each player, that reinforced why we were ready, that reinforced why we were the best person for this job, that reinforced why... Uh, he wouldn't want anyone else out there but us. And again, we're grown men that, you know, we're supposed to be uh, driven by, by our job requirements, feeding our family, and we all are. But again, I can't tell you how much that meant that you had a coach who took the time to, one, know you well enough to be able to then take the time to message that personal note to you and do it every single week without fail for my career and it became one of the things I looked forward to most on game day. And, and, and you know, I didn't, you, know, you don't need them. You don't need someone that needs that. But, boy, was it nice. And, and again, it comes back to how we started this podcast. Dan knows or, or Dan knew that it's a, it's, a, it's a people business. And you want to win, you better know the person, connect the person, and, and bond with that person. And you better work, at, as we all know, relationships need to be worked on every day for the rest of our life. And those are one of Dan's little ways of, of keeping it personal, keeping it connected, and keeping our relationships strong. So when the chaos ensued on the field, we knew for sure he had our back, and he knew for sure that we, we, would, we, were, we were the right person for the job and we would do what it took to, to win. And, and I know kind of, I guess, extending off of that, on the personal side of things, a big thing that you really took away from this this whole experience that you really took away from Dan really vo- revolves around the word trust. That trust yeah. uh, is is such an important thing, and you spend a whole chapter on on trust, and it's called "What Really Matters in the End." Yeah, and I, I you know not a lot of people don't know this because everybody in the football world seen my my high school football TED talk, but I, I did a TED talk last May. It was called Mastering the Skill of Trust. 
and I, I pulled everything from that chapter almost, and I, I break down trust as a skill, as Dan always did. But he, he would speak to us about trust almost every single meeting. And, he, you know, I think, I think my quote at the beginning of that chapter was trust, five-letter word, easy to say, hard to do. Uh, he would throw acronyms at us all the time, trust, T-R-U-S-T, uh, to resolve unusual situations together. But in the end, uh, he knew that that was the most important aspect of, of what we did out there. And, you know, he'd reiterate to us, and I think any offensive line coach or player would appreciate what, I, what, I'll, what I'll say here, is offensive linemen are, are the only position in all of team sports that play the entire game with their backs to the ball. And you think about that for a second. We, we play the whole game not seeing what's happening that will allow us to help win the game, and yet we do our work. We do our work without, not, without having any clue what's really going on behind us with the ball, but we trust. And, and we trust the player beside us uh, to deal with twist pickups and slanting defenders where you leave, the, you leave, your, uh, you know, you, you leave your assignment because you know the person beside him will pick him up because you've worked with this person long enough to know that they'll be there. And you're going a million miles an hour. You don't have time to second guess and think you lose. And, and that, to me, uh, I learned from Dan, was the most powerful thing you can build. And the only way you can build that trust is by getting to know the person as a human being and, and, and working with them day in and day out with honesty, great communication, and accountability to each other. And you get around people that you can be honest with, that you communicate very well with, and they do the same to you, and, and you're accountable to each other for what happens again and again and again. You can, you, you can learn to trust that person. And I, I, that TED Talk I gave was on the power of the football huddle, and I, and I applaud any coach that still uses the huddle <laughs> for much bigger reasons than, than the tactics in the game. Is You're setting an environment where young kids that don't do this very often in the world today have to come together after what they've just done and look each other close in the eye. And they have to account for what just went on. And then you have to communicate with each other with great eye contact. And you have to articulate the message with clarity and confidence. And that's hard for a lot of people to do in this world. And the, and the huddle demands that and enforces that. And so you build that ability to, to look at each other in the eye and account for what you just did or didn't do. And then communicate how you're going to fix it. And then communicate what we're going to do next. And then you go out and do it. And the more you can do that with people, the more you build trust with them. And then once you build trust with people, I really believe there's very little you can't do. But without building that trust, all the talent in the room will be useless at the sign of first problems. And I think we all know this. But the question is, what are we doing to counter that? And Dan's big thing was that constant communication, the honesty, and the accountability both ways. And, 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 and really caring about each other and, and doing that again and again and again and again and again to get to that place where, um, you know, I'm going to give my 100% every time knowing that you're going to do the same. We're not going to be perfect. It's not always going to be, it's not always going to work, but I'm not going to second guess and worry and wonder what you're up to. I'm going to do what I'm going to do knowing you're going to do what you're going to do. And I know that we will be accountable to each other. We'll solve problems together and we'll communicate and, and figure it out. And to me, once again, talking about transferable skills, uh, forget winning football games. That's how families win. That's how businesses win. That's how communities win. That's how, that's how we win as people. And we need to prepare our children and get them in environments more often where they gain that confidence and comfort engaging in those difficult conversations with each other, which I think the huddle has always done an amazing job of doing. Absolutely. In, in the no-huddle world. <laughs> it, yeah, no, it, that, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I get the tactics of football, right? And this yeah, is where but it it's still has a lot line. of value. Yeah, yeah, yep. it's, it's the fine line where you know, are we 
we're trying to win football games, but we're also trying to raise people. Yep. And you know, you can't, you can't, you can't have all of it at the same time. But my whole book about Dan was my reminder to coaches to never lose sight that, you know, if you really want to be a, if you want to be a good coach, you, you, you make great players and you win games. You want to be a great coach. You use every interaction on the field for something larger than football. And, and if you can, if you can kind of do that, then you're really special. When you are, when you are teaching life through everything you're doing, and if you're mindful, as you spoke about in your practice sessions, not only of the, of the skill and drill you're teaching, but if you're mindful of, of using that as a vessel to always teach something that they can take with them when they're done, now, now you're something special. Now you really get it, right? And now, now you're somebody that uh, you know, are, are going to have – you'll have players for life. You know, you're going to have 45-year-olds that, are, that you'll be their coach still because you, you've, you've helped raise them to be able to handle anything, not just, uh, you know, uh, an internal stunt, an internal twist with a, with a weak side stunt. You're, you can handle that in the real world, too. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really important. And, you, and the name of your book is, is Thank You, Coach. And I think that's really what this is all about. This is what we look for as coaches and it's pretty cool that you wrote a book about your coach but really the thank you that you're giving him is that you've taken all those things that he taught you over those uh i think he coached you 10 years right over those those 10 or 11 11 of of my 13 years yeah oh the the 11 years that he that he he coached you now you you've taken that and you've moved on in life and applied those those lessons and that's what it is you hear coaches talk about that all the time that the, the true measure of their success wasn't that state championship they won this year or league championship or, or however many wins they had. It's when, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, uh, they can run into that kid and learn about the man he's become, not just what he's done in his profession, what he's doing in his life as, you know, a husband, a father. And um, I guess what's pretty neat, Angus, is, is today at, at lunch, you know, earlier in the day today, had a former player of mine come over. He owns his own uh, flooring business now, and he came over to give me a quote. And I haven't seen him in years, but this was a kid who, um, you know, he played for me, uh, my first head coaching job. Um, and honestly, I was worried about him for, for a long time while he was with us, uh, you know, about is this kid going to make it? There's, a, you know, a lot of factors, maybe a little bit in his background, uh, you know, some maybe things within uh, that, that might be, you know, he's predisposed to maybe get into some of the wrong things, et cetera. And then to see him today in my house talking about his kids, talking about his, his business, acting like a, a real professional, that was, that was the thank you, coach. That's what I got today. So it's, it's, I guess, pretty unique that that happened today. But I think that's what we're all looking for. And in your book, I, I started by saying it's not an instructional book, but, but in a lot of ways it is. You have, at the end of each chapter, the takeaways, but there's so many more things in there. I'd say, number one, it definitely would be instructional for offensive line guys. I recommend it, but really any coach. And it, it, it covers and captures the experience of being a football player, but also what the coach is doing, and there's, there is so much to learn from it. So while it's not teaching you the schemes and the X's and O's, uh, you really gave us something that uh, encapul- encapsulates what we're trying to do, and I think a, a lot of coaches can can learn from it. Um, this is airing 
Uh, we're not recording it on Christmas Day, but this is airing on Christmas Day. So it's a little bit late for a Christmas gift, but I recommend you go out and get Coach's book. And Coach, or uh, Angus's book, where can we find it, Angus? Uh, your easiest outlet would be on Amazon.com. And you just punch in, thank you, Coach. It, it shows right up. And uh, that that's probably the easiest outlet. And then ideally I'll be hopefully in some, some clinics this offseason and I'll be available to ideally sign copies here and there, but I'll keep people posted. Uh, my site, Angus Reed 64, you know, if you want to order bulk or you want some signed, get a hold of me directly through my site and I can make arrangements that way too. But Amazon's always easy. Angus, thank you again for your time uh, and for putting out this book and, and everything you're doing, I think, to uh, promote our game. And uh, Merry Christmas to all our listeners out there. You got it. Merry Christmas. And I really, really do appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast. For more resources, visit the Coach Performance Center at usafootball.com. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. I know that one said Merry Christmas. We're certainly in the holiday season here as today is Thanksgiving. Again, a great one from our archives there. Remember to go to glazierclinics.com slash win to register for our sweepstakes, which will be awarded on the five-year anniversary of the podcast, December 12th. It's been a great five years. I want to thank everybody for listening and supporting the podcast. And we've got some great things coming up in the future. We start with our new episodes in our off-season lineup. We'll be starting on Monday, and we have three state champions from Alaska. We'll talk about Alaska football and the things that they learned from 2021. Some incredible stories there from those guys. And uh, we'll get into the off-season format here and get going next week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.